If you're trying to stop ransomware and other types of malware attacks against your computers, you're fighting a losing battle. Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. Last year saw a steep rise in ransomware attacks, whereby cyber thieves lock up your computer and demand payment for releasing your data. In fact, 2017 was the worst year ever for malware attacks against business, according to system security consultant Plixer. Today I'm joined by two executives of the company, CEO Michael Patterson and Bob Noel, Director of Strategic Relationships and Marketing. We're going to have a discussion about how to stop malware from infecting your computer. Spoiler alert, you can't. Instead, you should be putting your energies into developing a strong response plan for the inevitable attack. We'll learn about the first basic steps to take when an incursion is detected. And we'll find out whether you should ever pay ransom when you're being extorted by bad actors. So here is my conversation with Michael Patterson and Bob Noel. Michael Patterson, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. And Bob Noel, welcome as well. Thank you, Bob. I appreciate it. It's a pleasure to be here. Michael, I want to start with you. Could you just give me a sense of what is the trend right now in the occurrence of ransomware like over the last year versus the past? I think that the ransomware has sped up the infection. It might have, in the terms of the articles, or at least what's being uh, making the press lately, I don't know if the press is kind of tired of ransomware, but we're still seeing some articles, but not as much as we did six months ago. I'm sure that the bad actors behind it aren't through writing ransomware, but I think that there has been good awareness generated in the industry so that more people are less likely to pay a ransom if they get infected, because there's been some press about sometimes you pay the ransom and you never get your data back. So it's just bad practice to pay them at all. At one point in time, I remember the FBI even endorsed paying the ransom, but I don't think they do anymore. I think we're going to continue to see ransomware for the long term, but I also think that malware is moving into other areas of the industry. Yeah, I certainly want to ask you about that as well. I've been seeing statistics that ransomware attacks in 2017 were 10 times that of the rate in 2016, though. Is that track with what you guys see? I get articles every single day that I go through, and I think the first half of 2017 was definitely heavier than what I remember of November and December. It just seemed to be moving into other areas of malicious activity. But yeah, malware has been a great way to make money. Long term, I think that people are are beginning to become aware that, hey, you know, paying these guys off is not always an option. You better have, make sure you have proper backups so that you can just recover that way. Yeah, Bob, do you see the same trend in terms of a big increase, at least last year, and maybe a leveling off since for whatever reason? 
Yeah, so I do. Thank you. And I think the the 10X is pretty consistent with what I've seen and and what I've heard. There are a couple of pretty sizable attacks over the course of 2017, I think, that that drove that. There are some that have been around a long time, like CryptoLocker, but you saw the rise of WannaCry and Petya and and others that took advantage of some pretty large botnets. The increase is in line with what I've seen. I do want to agree and talk a little bit about what Mike had said. Anywhere that there's revenue to be made, right? people will come. Early on, as ransomware was infecting organizations, organizations were probably less prepared. They had fewer backup plans and incident response strategies, and and those things are beginning to evolve because of the proliferation of ransomware. But anytime that there is money to be made in extortion that is successful, although rates are still, I think I agree with Mike, are, are probably declining in terms of the number of people that are paying, there's still revenue to be made there. And as long as that's the case, the bad actors are going to focus in these areas. And we've also heard of cryptocurrency mining attacks as well. They've turned their attention to that. Is that that becoming a serious problem? Absolutely. The bad actors are hijacking CPU cycles. And again, you can do that through things like botnets, where you go after infected devices, you look for lateral vulnerabilities, and you infect devices and essentially steal the CPU for the purposes of mining Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. And I go back to where there's money to be made, and these are areas where bad actors are generating revenue, right? Extortion through ransomware and encryption. And by essentially silently sitting on devices, stealing CPU cycles, uh, essentially in the background and leveraging CPU of third-party devices to earn money. And as we said before, any place that there's revenue to be generated, there will be focus. Do the two of you feel that companies and business are sufficiently awake to the problem? Yes, it's a business choice. I do think that even small tradespeople are aware of how they have to be very, very careful what they click on. They're very suspicious about anything they receive. I know I've got daughters in high school, and they're very careful about anything they click on. However, sometimes it's a business decision, like, wow, what if my phone gets infected? I don't have proper backups. You know what? All my contacts on there, I'm not really worried about it. If they lock up my phone, I can't get to it. I got to blow it away to restore it. Larger businesses, they tend not to think that way. They have to have backups. I think if there was an area to make improvements, Bob, maybe you could comment on this a little bit more. I think we need to see more fire drills in the industry. It's a really good point. So take a quick step back in terms of the transition that, that I see happening in the market right now. So for literally decades at this point, the industry manufacturers of security products have told end users, they've used the words, buy my product and I will protect you or I will prevent bad things from happening. And unfortunately, over the years, the sophistication of attacks, the vast number of threat surfaces that are introduced by things like Internet of Things, the reality is that prevention as a strategy has failed us. And where I see the industry beginning to transition from, even from the board, it's slow, but I do see it starting to gain traction. But even at the board level, organizations must understand and embrace that the prevention as a strategy is failing, that what organizations need to do is transition the mindset in terms of people, personnel, and budget spend towards incident response. Things like ransomware will get in. 
humans are in many cases the weak link in that. Mike brought it up. People will accidentally click on something that brings these into the organization. And the transition is that you have to have technologies that gather real-time and historic forensic data so that when these inevitable breaches occur, the organization has a mechanism to quickly investigate the problem, identify what happened, and return to normal. And again, this is a trend that is slowly gaining traction in the market, but it is, in my opinion, in our opinion, something that has to happen at a, at a faster clip. So certainly you are recommending preparation, but not preparation from the mindset of preparation will prevent anything from happening. The preparation will help you to cope with it when it does happen. I guess that's the distinction, right? I think it is. And that's not to take away that the effort of preventing is still important. And we all need to continue to try to do that. But we also have to recognize that there are just too many threat surfaces. There are too many ways for bad actors to get in. And it doesn't have to just be somebody targeting me, although that can occur. It is much more now, as you said, about the preparation of when these inevitable breaches occur and data from my organization is lost or a device is locked but with encryption. How do I react to that? How do I identify what happened? How do I eliminate the spread of that? But more importantly, how do I protect the organization and return to normal from those inevitable breaches? And that's where the incident response process comes in. So let's answer those questions. Let's posit a case where a business is attacked by ransomware. What can you do? It's a scary position to be in, the, the possibility of losing all of your data, of crashing your business, really. What can you do when, you, when you're faced with that inevitable occurrence? The first step is you know you've been compromised because literally your screen shows a, a screenshot that says your data's been locked. And so in a ransomware attack, the first thing that you should do is remove that device from the network so that it is not trying to laterally move. So as soon as you know that, you should remove the device. That's step one. Step two is to look into, there are technology platforms that are called network traffic analytics. Full disclosure, this is something that Plixer does, but there are technologies that gather data about every conversation that's occurring across the network, and they store that data. So now you know, okay, I have a device, it was compromised, I need to go into my forensic database, and I need to look for the communications that that device had. I want to understand what command and control server that device reached out to to actually get the malware because I want to ensure that no other device on my network has the ability to reach out to that same command and control server. So I can identify it, then I can create filters and, and eliminate other devices from being able to do that. I also want to be able to look at the traffic that was generated from that infected device to look for what type of lateral movement that attack is trying to take. Ransomware, in many cases, will not just encrypt data on that device, but it will try to propagate itself to other devices so that other devices become locked as well. That is typically done in a, in a, over a protocol or an application or a transmission type that is consistent. So I want to be able to look historically into the communication of that infected device, understand how it is trying to move laterally, and similarly, I can look now for any other device on my network that is behaving in that way, transmitting over that protocol, and lock those down to prevent the spread 
So that's number two. I, I think Mike brought up the point that's very important before the fact to have these drills. So organizations need to understand what data is important to them and that they can't live without. They need to implement really strong backup and recovery processes, and they need to practice those so that if a device is encrypted, that rather than having to pay for restoring that data through the course of, of extortion and a ransom, that instead they have a mechanism to back that data back up and, and restore it. And so at a very high level, broad brush, th- those are the types of incident response processes and thought patterns that go into preparing for these inevitable breaches. But so many corporate systems are tied into a network. So is it the case that when you first discover an infection, it's only on one device? Is it not possible that the entire network is simultaneously affected and there is no single device that you can remove from the system to stop it from happening? It's unlikely that everything's infected. It's likely that more than one device is infected. Identifying those machines, if you don't have a profile, basically you need to know how these devices normally talk or what applications they normally communicate with. And that way you can go into your analytics platform and say, okay, ignore this type of traffic, ignore that type of traffic, and start narrowing it down, especially if you know a time frame from when it beaconed or maybe when the firewall or your detection system uncovered something suspicious from that box and start looking at that traffic, then you can take that profile and you can say, all right, is anyone else in the network communicating with that same pattern? Because it's not feasible to go manually check every PC in the company. It's just not going to happen. These log systems are really critical because if the FBI or you would hire a forensics team to come in and say, hey, help me figure out what the heck is going on. My data has been compromised. I have no idea how. They're going to say, well, where are your logs? Similar to the, the police walk into a do- department store, they're going to say, well, I see you got some cameras. Let's go look at the mm-hmm. video footage. The network traffic analytics then provides the basis of a forensic investigation, correct? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, you've got to have logs. And if you don't have logs, it really stinks because then they say, well, we're going to have to wait to see if it happens again. And then and then when start capturing logs going forward. So now you have to pause and just wait for more malicious activity to occur, which really stinks. So you absolutely have to have your camera system, your analytics system, warehousing, all the flows, all the logs, FIFOs the data so it saves it for two weeks or two months or whatever you want, and then it rotates it out so that if you when you do have an incident and everybody gets infected, all large companies are currently infected, then you can use the systems to start investigating machines that are acting suspicious. Now, you talk about backup. How much backup, how much of your company's data should be backed up in anticipation of an attack and where? My take, when I look at our own company, I say, look, identify what we call, at Plixer, we call them our oracles. These are our critical systems. This is the data we really care about, and these are the machines that need to interface with that data. And they interface with that data using these particular applications and nothing else. We also take those machines and we block them from the Internet so they can't, if they request updates, they're just going to get denied until we routinely uh, manually visit these machines. We have that luxury as a smaller company to a few dozen machines and just periodically run updates on them manually. You've got to identify the machines and where the data is. You don't just back up everything. That's ridiculous. 
And then how much do you back up? Well, it's really up to you and what you can afford. We always try to have a few different backups because sometimes a malware will stay resident for a few days or could stay dormant for a few weeks, unfortunately, before it raises its head and causes a problem for you. So it depends on your budget. You have to think about, all right, if I lose this data, my backup's corrupt or whatever, and I can't get it back, what's the cost? Okay, what is it? Does it completely shut down my company? Well, they weigh out the cost for that insurance so that you can basically keep reasonable updates in the event. If your ticketing system goes down, yeah, that costly. Yes, you need records of that, but is it as costly as your CRM or maybe your finances? Mm, probably not. So you have to kind of make some decisions like that. And if you just focus on your oracles and not every system in the company, just focus on, you know, what's really mission critical, then I think that makes it a little bit easier. Where does the cloud come into the picture in terms of providing that necessary backup and how they're helping or exacerbating the problem? If server farms are attacked, then you really got a problem. But how does the cloud figure into this whole picture? There are a couple of different ways that the cloud can be, as you said, both helpful and, and an interesting challenge. From a disaster recovery standpoint, I think I find a lot of organizations that are storing data up in the cloud uh, and utilizing that as a disaster recovery and, and backup. And I think that's a good practice. As Mike said, I think most organizations, in terms of their critical data as it pertains to servers, are probably already utilizing some sort of a backup mechanism for that data. It's oftentimes more the end stations in terms of where data that might get encrypted. So I think organizations need to identify what is critical data and where that's stored. If you are storing data that's critical to your organization on an individual end device, that's putting your organization at risk because in that case, it's probably not going to be backed up in a mechanism that it can be stored. So leveraging some central repository, whether that be in the public cloud or in your own data center, I think is a really good practice for any data that you perceive as critical to the business. That way it, it minimizes the impact if an end device is encrypted, the data that's on that device, as long as it's not critical to the business, is less concerning and you don't have to worry about paying the ransom if, in fact, you lose some data on a specific end device. In the final analysis, given the capabilities that are there now in order to deal with malware and specifically ransomware, are we at the situation now where companies really don't need to pay or shouldn't pay, contrary to what the FBI said some time ago? Do you not have to pay because there are other ways around it? I think the answer to that question is dependent upon the organization. So for organizations that have prepared, that have mechanisms in place, right, have an incident response process that's defined, in many cases they are in a position now where that data can be restored and is not necessary to, to be paid. I think organizations that have not spent the time to properly prepare may in fact find themselves in a position where that data is critical. It would be a massive impact to the business if they lost that data and they in that case find themselves in a very difficult situation and in many cases they do pay. 20000 to get all your data back? In some cases I would think it's probably worth it versus shutting your company down for an extended period of time. Well, that is some eye-opening information from the both of you. And if companies were not awake before, I sure hope listening to this, they are now. I want to thank both of you. Michael Patterson, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. And Bob Noel, thank you very much. Thank you, Bob. Appreciate the time.
That was my conversation with Michael Patterson and Bob Noel of Plixer, talking about how to respond to ransomware and other types of malware attacks. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. See you next time.